0: So, Dave, tell us about yourself. Who are you? Well, I'm a, an executive assistant at a major pet products company. Dave, I don't want you to tell us what you do. I want you to tell us who you are. Oh, all right, um, I'm a pretty good guy. I, um, I like playing tennis on occasion. Uh, Also, not your hobbies, Dave. Just simple, tell us who you are. I just... maybe you could give me an example of what a good answer would be. Um, what did you say? You want Lou to tell you who you are. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just... Uh... I'm a nice, easygoing man. I might be a little bit indecisive at times. Um... Dave, you're describing your personality. I want to know who you are. We had to cut it off there because it got real colorful after that. So how would you answer that question? Who are you? How would you, how would you, how would you answer that? Who are you? <clears throat> it's an interesting question. But how would you answer it? Now, I'm not going to play the antagonist like Mr. Nicholson here, poke and prod. And, and trust me, context matters in this question because depending on where you are, people want to know certain things about you. But if it's not your work or your hobbies or your personality, then what? How do you answer that question? Who are you? How do you do that? Most people most people, when they are um, identifying themselves, usually default to three different, I'll call them, categories. One um, is that they will explain what they do. I'm a pastor, I'm a doctor, I'm a cashier, I'm a line worker, I'm a teacher, I'm whatever it happens to be, right? What they do. Sometimes we change the language that we use uh, depending on the context. So, for a lot of people, I tell them I'm a pastor, but in some contexts, if I really want them to know I'm a little crazy, I tell them I'm a church planter. And they're like, ooh. But there have been other times where I've been around a group of people and I don't know what they think about church or Christianity or anything, and so I tell them I run a nonprofit so I can keep that conversation going. But again, I'm identifying myself by what I do, right? It's interesting. The other thing we do is we'll, we'll, um, we'll identify ourselves by what we own. You know, a lot of you are going, well, that's not me. I don't tell people what car I drive or, or the type of clothes I buy. Yeah, but you'll tell them where you live, what your zip code is, what part of the city that you live in, right? We all do this. We identify, some, sometimes, we identify ourselves by the things that, that, we, that, that we own. Um, I live in Midtown. Everyone's like, ooh, Midtown. Wow. Right? Or Jinx. Well, what part of Jinx? Broken Arrow. Eh, Broken Arrow. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. The point is, is that that's kind of how we identify ourselves. Now, so it's, it's what we do, what we own, and the other thing that we often do is we'll identify ourselves by who we know. Now, I know Dan Farkas. Who knows Chris Tomlin? <laughs> yeah, some of you are laughing at that one, right? Snickered snookered you on that a year ago. The point is, is that we often will drop names. Um, sometimes we do it as just a point of connection with people and, and it's like, oh, you live in that part of town, that's great. Do you know, you know, you know a guy named Bill, Bill Smith or something like that? Yeah, Bill, I know Bill, and, and, you know, he works in accounting. And Now, you may hate Bill who works in accounting, but because that person knows them, you're going to be real nice and not mention the fact that you don't like Bill in accounting, right? So the point is, is that we identify ourselves by the people we know. So those typical things, and think about your conversations that you've had with people. But yeah, it's what we do, what we own, or what we know. That's how we typically identify ourselves. But the question remains, is that who you are? Are you those things? It's an important question, and I find that it surfaces from time to time in people's lives. Very often in the early 20s, when you're trying to figure out who it is. It also happens when you're about 10 years old when people start asking you a question, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? Yes, some of us are still trying to figure that out. And the point is, is that it shows up periodically. So 20s, we're things out. Then we have this thing called midlife crisis. For some people, it's more of a crisis than others. And some some people, you know, buy new convertibles. Others decide to have different spouses. I mean, I, and again, this is not a judgment thing. This is a, this is a very typical thing that we go through when we're trying to answer this question deep in our who am I? Who are you? Is the real question that's being asked. So I'm starting a new series today called Living the Triangle. And you've seen this one before. But you have what we call the Discipleship Triangle. And we talk about the fact that there's this relationship be- between me and God and it impacts how I live my life and how I do my job. And, and the whole thing starts with me. And really this question, who are you? And we we often call this self-awareness. Now I want to talk a little bit about this because I think think this is an important thing that we sometimes don't give credit to in the church. Self-awareness is a component of maturity. Um, I have an opportunity uh, to talk to a lot of different people and the one thing that I've noticed is that the people who struggle the most are the ones who have the least amount of self awareness. Just a consistent observation that I made over the years. Self aware people tend to do a little bit better in life. They kind of understand who they are, how they're wired, those kinds of things, and are able to respond a little bit better to the people around them. And so I think it's incredibly um, useful. Uh, to do a little bit of digging, to try to understand yourself. So <clears throat> there's a variety of things that, that any one of us can, can do to, to get a, an understanding. Um, so how many of you have done the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, the MBTI? Have you done this one? Yeah. So that's the extrovert, introvert, um, and, you know, people use these really, I'm an ENFP or whatever it is, you know what I mean? And you're like, you're what? <laughs> Who am I? Well, I'm an INTJ. Well, God bless you. I have no idea what that means, right? But it's a personality, and, it's, and it has to do with your preferences and how you interact with people, how you interact with the world around you. Around you. And it's very useful to, to, to have an understanding of that. Or maybe, uh, maybe the, the, uh, you're into the current craze, the Enneagram. How many of you have done the Enneagram? Okay, here's the thing about Enneagram, because I think it's really cool, but it looks like voodoo. I'm just going to tell you. The little, little diagram, I'm like, whoa, wait a second. What am I actually looking at? The, but the point is, it's an incredibly useful tool, and it's weirdly accurate, just bizarre. I'm reading this thing going, no, yeah, that's probably right. And then your friends start getting around you, you Go, oh, yeah, you're totally like that. <laughs> Power of suggestion is what I know. <laughs> it's a, but it's the Enneagram, and again, it gives you an insight into your personality and, and how, you, how you do things. Um, from a leadership standpoint, there's a great little test called the DISC. How many of you have taken the DISC? Dominance, influence, stabili- stability, and was it conscientiousness, I guess is what it is. But anyway, and it's kind of this four-quadrant thing, and... Every single one of those tests that my wife and I have taken, we are diametrically opposed on our first and we're exactly the same on the secondary one. I don't know why that is, but just opposites attract, I guess. But there's always, anytime you get one of those four diagram things, I pretty much can call where we're going to land, just the two of us. But again, it's a useful thing for you to understand a little bit of how you operate in a leadership. And by the way, if you're a parent, you're a leader, okay? You're leading, and if you're not, we need to chat, right? Because we need to we need to lead our kids, and so you have that. Um, there's another one that we've used around here called the VOPS model that was really useful. Helped us understand how we talk to each other a little bit better. Um, the other one that I really like is the Strengths Finder. Has anybody done Strengths Finder? Really, really useful. All of my staff are doing this. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. So. Um, but strengths finder is incredibly useful because it helps you identify where your talents are, and so that when we're actually, you know, trying to accomplish something, that we learn how to play to our strengths, and I think that's an incredibly useful thing to know. Um, the other one that we find in the church often is a spiritual gifts inventory. How many of you have taken those? So, and really interesting that in certain congregations, there's, there's certain ones like speaking in tongues nobody answers yes to. I don't know why that is, but and in other congregations, everybody answers yes to that one. So, um, but you've got, again, a way of understanding how you're wired, how God has put you together, and how it all fits in, in you. And, and I really believe that anything that will help you understand how you interact with the world around you is a positive thing. That is just part of being self-aware. Now, there's other other aspects to this that I think that we all have to um, wrap our heads around um, because there are emotional issues. There's baggage that we carry, right? Nod your head, you're in church, don't lie. It's true, we carry these things. And so sometimes we we have to deal with those issues too. And, and while self-discovery, I think, is very um, beneficial, I think there's another dimension to all of it for those of us who follow Jesus. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. So there's a New Testament writer. His name is Paul. Um, he wrote a lot of the New Testament. And he wrote a letter to the church, to a group of believers in Rome. Um, it's one of the letters that we have. Uh, where Paul wrote to them, but he did not start that church. But he was trying to encourage that church. And not just encourage them, but also to install a certain amount of theology, a certain amount of understanding into that church. And in the 12th chapter, he writes this. "For, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now, there's a lot of things that we can pick apart in that that passage. But but the word here, this idea of um, sober judgment is fascinating. The term in Greek means to be in your right mind, to be sane. To think about things sanely. In other words, to pursue accuracy, to try to think of yourself accurately. Now that means that you don't think more highly than yourself of, of yourself than you ought, but at the same time it means don't think more lowly of yourself than you ought. And we have a word for that. On the one hand, we have arrogance, that's when you think more highly. and the other hand is shame. It's when you think of yourself more lowly. Both are equally bad for you. But to think soberly is to think sanely, to be in your right mind, to have an accurate picture of yourself. And and I think that's a lifelong journey, to be honest. The idea is to have this right view of yourself, not too high, not too low, to be accurate. Why? Why should we have a sober understanding of ourselves? Well, obviously, too high, too low is bad for you, but I think that there's something else that's that's contained in here. I think the reason why God wants us to think soberly about ourselves is so that we can take all of us, both good and bad, and lay it before him. Here's who I am, God. These are all the experiences this is how you wired me. Good, bad, and the ugly, there it is. And You take it before Jesus and you ask him to do something with it. That's discipleship, It's to take all of it. Here's how you made me, God, here's my gifts and here's the graces and here's the skills. God, what do I do with this? What, 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 what do you want me to do with the stuff that you put inside of me? And I think this is an important question for all of us because I have a lot of different interests. Some of them are worth pursuing. Some of them are probably not worth pursuing. But God, if you put all of these things in me, what is it that you want me to do with this stuff that you put in my heart and in my mind and in my past and, and in my present and probably what's coming in the future? God, what do you want me to do with it? And then there's another part to it that's a whole lot harder. And some of you aren't going to like to hear this, but this is, this is the truth. God, here's the ugly part. This is a crap that happened to me. God, can you redeem this? Can you do something with this mess that I've either created or somebody else has created and I've got to deal with it? Can you redeem all of it? Is there a way that you can make this count for something? Notice what Paul writes. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And ultimately, the bottom line is the reason why you want to take all of the good, all of the bad, all of the ugly, and put it at Jesus' feet is ultimately because we need you to be you. I'm not suggesting here that we would like for you to be you. We need you to be you. Because the body is made up of parts, And there are parts that you have that I don't. And some of those really awful experiences have shaped you into this person. They do not define you, but they do shape you. And we need that. We absolutely need you to be you for the body to be the way God intended it. And so we take all those things and we put it at Jesus' feet and go, what can you do with this? I had a, some of you heard me tell this story before, but I had a, an experience at a uh, church that I pastored before. <coughs> and there was a woman who was um, coming to the church, and she was dealing some, with some issues with children. Um, I won't get into the detail, but it was very painful. And um, she was um, talking with me after service, and there just tears in her eyes, and I just... It was really interesting because as I'm talking to her, I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, um, I I know Chris just dealt with this not too long ago. Hold on, hold on. And I I just said, do you know I've got two people right now who are here who have been through what you're going through now? Would it be okay if I introduced you to them? And through sobs, she at her head and so I went and I grabbed a couple of women that I knew who had experienced some of the same things with their kids and I just gave a brief and I said I think the three of you should talk. They took this woman over and they chatted with her I don't know how long and she's crying and then the next thing another you know, praying for her. Now I don't know what came out of that but the body was the body in that moment And the only way those two women knew how to minister to the other one was because they had been through the same junk that she was going through. God doesn't waste tragedy ever. If he's a God of redemption, which he is, then he can redeem even your nonsense, your mess. It's not just for everybody else, it's for you too. And so part of the self-awareness part of this element of discipleship is to say, this is who I am, this is all of the stuff, God can redeem all of this, and we need you. The body needs you to be you because only you can fulfill that role. Now that doesn't mean that God can't use other people as well, but the point is the body needs you to be you. We need you to be you. I think there's a reason why you're here. Not just today, but why you call this place home. I don't think God gathers people for no reason, by the way. I I do think that there's some orchestration that's usually going on. And every person that calls this place home, that chooses to be part of this particular body, you've got a role to play, even if David doesn't see it right away. I don't get to decide how you belong There's only one person who can do that, and that's Jesus. The point is, is that hopefully if I'm listening to him, I'm going to see those things. But the point is, even if I don't, you don't need my permission to be part of this body. Are you with me? Important piece. So, the question is, who are you? Let's be clear. There's lots of ways to (laughs) answer that question. And then, depending on who's asking and why, you may choose to answer that different ways. But who are you? The truth... And who we are is really made up of layers. And uh, had I already not played a video clip, I would have done another one. An ogre is like an onion. Yes. Those of you who are Shrek fans, yes, we have played Shrek in church. But the truth of the matter is is that there's layers to us. That we have history and we have experiences and we have um, things that we've learned about ourselves and about others and how the world works and, and all of that wraps up into who we are. And again, that's what we need as part of a church. But before I finish, there's one other thing I want to make sure that I mention to you. I want to make sure that I show you what God says. I want to show you who God says you are. Can I do that? Is that okay? doesn't matter, I'm going to do it here anyway. Okay. This is what God says about you. It's in Ephesians chapter one. For he chose us in him, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship and daughtership through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. You are adopted as daughters and sons of the living God. Now, Interestingly enough, the word here, adopted, is a very specific legal term that means that you are literally, legally part of that family and are entitled to all of the rights and privileges thereof. Legal term, Roman legal term, borrowed in order to explain that as you are adopted into into being a child of God, that there are certain things that you are entitled to. Now, how many of you have heard this before? Yes, that you were adopted? Yes, come on, you're in church, don't lie. Yes, you've heard this. You've been adopted, sons and daughters. Great, okay, cool, let's go home. What's for lunch? But wait, there's more. Just a little bit more. Because Paul goes on to write in Ephesians chapter 1 something else, something more extraordinary. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance that's something you're entitled to until the redemption of those who are God's possession. You see, it's not just that you're adopted. You also have an inheritance and that the Holy Spirit that God gives each believer is a down payment on that so that you know so that you know that you are adopted, given as a deposit. It affirms, it confirms our adoption, which means, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are God's artwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is why the body needs you to be you, because there are certain things that God has created you to do to be in order to get done. He's created them in advance for you to do and we need you to do those things. There is somebody in this body right now who needs something that you have, that you've experienced, that has been redeemed in you because we're all siblings. Oh yeah, and by the way, for through Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit, you see that down payment gives you access to God, direct access, no intermediary. You don't need me in order to get to God. You can do that on your own. I'm happy to help, but you don't need me. You have direct access to God. And so we often talk about this idea: of the body, bottom of the triangle is that the Holy Spirit gives us that access to God and we have this relationship to him and he speaks to us and he says certain things that we need to hear and sometimes he says them directly to our minds and sometimes he says them through the words of other people around you but the point is that this is part of being a disciple. Yes, you can learn everything there is to know about yourself but the point to it, the reason why Is so that you can take it to the Father and have Him do something great with it. Because on our own, we're just kind of left in the mess. And we see this all the time. See it in the people around us and our coworkers and sometimes even in our family. But when we take those things, the good, God, what do you want me to do with this? The bad, oh, God, can you make this count for something? that's when he begins to do his work. You're living in the bottom part of the triangle there so that you're empowered to do the things that he's called you to do. Disciples live in the bottom of the triangle, listening and responding to the things that they hear God saying through his spirit. Now, this morning, um, obviously uh, Kay heard from the Lord. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, right. Um, here's the thing I want you to understand <clears throat> that's normal for a disciple to hear from the Lord. Sometimes I think we forget that. This morning, <clears throat> I was doing my own journaling. And uh, that's how I do it. You don't have to do it that way, but that's how I process things is I I have to write them down because I'm really forgetful. And I have to write things down. And for whatever reason, my daughter who's in college uh, came to my mind. I don't know why. She just did. And I said, Lord, is there something you want me to say? And he downloaded a couple of thoughts. And I I wrote down because I want to have a date on them. And then I sent her a text. And a few minutes later she goes, Oh wow, that really aligns with something. I don't know what it is. She hasn't told me yet. But as soon as I'm done here, I'm gonna go ask her because I wanna know what that's about. That's the thing that the Holy Spirit is often doing in you and in other people. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, wow, oh, oh, wait a second, and there's lights that go on and I... that's normal for disciples to listen and to respond and then to see how God is doing that and other people around you, that's normal. Sometimes I think we forget that. And so the thing that I wanted to, to do today, um, we're going to talk about this over the next couple of weeks. But the thing that I want to do today, and, and here's, <laughs> I want to make it available to you, look, if, if you want to hear God, um, let us pray for you. I, I don't know how to ask, you know, say that more plainly, but um, I'm going to be back here. I'm going to try to conscript Kay to come back there with me, pray for some people, because we want all of you to be you because we need you. And so if you just want to say, hey, you know what? I'd really like to hear God more. Cool. Let us pray for you. Uh, James will be back there too and you know we'll just we'll just pray for whoever anybody wants to hear from God. Look, if this is a little weird for you, that's okay. I understand. I'm just going to trust that God's going to guide you and lead you the way you need to be guided and led. This is not my church. This is Jesus church. I just happen to be the guy who's supposed to listen to him more than everybody else. <laughs> But if that's you today or you're just saying, you know, yeah, I don't that sounds cool, but I'm not too sure. It seems a little too. Mm, it's all right. Give us a give us a moment to pray because the thing that I know <clears throat> about a father who loves me is he's going to speak my language. He's going to communicate me in a way com- communicate to me in a way that I understand. And he's not going to force me into anything. But he's going to guide me and lovingly lead me in that direction. And I believe he's going to do that for you too. So, if that's a place where you really want to think about being in the bottom part of the triangle, to have that deposit of the Holy Spirit, to, to have direct, direct access, let's, let's pray about that. I promise I won't make you feel funny. I'm not going to slap you with a towel. I'm not going to make you fall on the floor. (laughs) That doesn't happen here, right? But what will happen is to say, oh God, please speak to your servant, to your son, to your daughter. They want to hear. And we'll just go from there and see how he leads.